Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Legendary Leaders podcast. And today with me is Rebecca Watson. Rebecca is a thought leader in the field of human consciousness. Through her work and writing, she explores how our level of consciousness affect our personal happiness and success in life, as well as how we co-create our working environments and societies. And along with her private client work, Rebecca has also specialized in the field of leadership, team and organizational development. And she has been working with leaders globally across public and private sectors since 2004. She is the author of two books, Creating High-Performing Teams and Conscious Leadership and the Power of Energetic Fields. And in addition to this, she has produced many other written guides in her area of expertise and a wonderful course she's going to talk about here today as well. She's a public speaker in the areas of leadership, cultural change and personal development and is happy to be approached for further speaking events. Rebecca, however, is a woman, a human being who is going to share some parts of her story with us here today especially how she started out as a commercial lawyer, how she felt working in that role as well, and what drove her to change towards um, her coaching practice, how she's now supporting leaders, what leadership actually means, but also how we can become more aware of our energies, our energy fields and the fields we build around the systems we operate in as well as other people. And most importantly, she's going to share so many insights into the seven levels of consciousness with us here today and how being aware of those different levels and where we are and where we are moving in between can help us become greater, or I want to say truly legendary leaders that have a positive impact on ourselves, on the people around us but most importantly, on the wider world. So if you want to become a part in this positive movement that Rebecca is inspired to create, well, then listen to the upcoming show. And I speak to you again in a moment. And today here with me, the wonderful Rebecca Watson. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kathleen. Lovely to be here. Yeah, great to have you here and uh, to talk about our consciousness a little bit more today. But first of all, how are you doing? Yes, I'm very good. Very good. Thank you. Um, yeah. Relaxed and looking forward to this podcast. 
Yeah, me too. And I was mentally preparing for this show and I read through your bio again and I thought about our conversation and I noticed in myself that a lot of biases came up. So, for example, when I read that you were a commercial lawyer before you started out running your own business or businesses, it's like, goodness me, you have been one of the most calming persons I have been talking to over the last few weeks and months. And a lawyer, I always remember, or I always imagine a little bit more like very active in the weeds, um, working quite a lot. Um, so I thought, hey, I, I'm going to bring this question into the show and just ask you, how has it been to be a commercial lawyer in your past? Yeah, so, well, I don't think I was a very good one, Kathleen. <laughs> because <laughs> Good start. <laughs> I did my best, but it was not the career for me. Um, yeah, I uh, did very long hours, very stressful, a lot of fear in that industry. I wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh, my goodness, did I put that clause in? Then I'd find the document and yes I had put the clause in but there was this constant anxiety of not being perfect because if it's not perfect then there's multi multi-million pounds at stake here so yes I didn't enjoy that and it's really a career for very detail-minded people that can look for all the things that can go wrong and that's really the opposite of my mind <laughs> very big picture and I tend to look for all the things that can go right yeah so yeah it, it was an interesting uh I, I'm sure it gave me lots of things that I still bring through I mean it certainly gave me recognition in the business world so I'm you know I've, I've built my career as a coach really from being a leadership expert working with culture and at that time I had a boss who was really a really bad leader. And so I've experienced how it feels to be with a really bad leader. So it mm. sort of gave me actually a lot of what I'm using now. So yeah, I'm grateful for it, but I'm also grateful that I got out. <laughs> But, but let's let's stick with it for one more moment because I'm curious to learn what got you in there. Well, I did a degree in physical geography because I love mountains and oceans and the world, the planet. And then at the end of that, I really hadn't thought it through as to how was I going to earn money? What was I actually going to do as a job? And my mum at the time was a magistrate. So she said, well, as this young solicitor in court, she sort of reminds me of you personality wise. So why don't you give that a try? Yeah. And I really had no idea what I wanted to do. And I just thought, well, why not? And I thought it's so broad, the law, there must be an area that I find that's right for me. Mm. And so I just went into it, you know, because it was, well, it's a good career and it's prestigious. There's yeah. potential to earn lots of money. So at the time, these were my values, really. And also, I didn't want to be a mom or a wife. I was very career orientated. I wanted to become financially independent. So I was never reliant on anybody. So I thought, hmm, yeah, that could be a good route, <laughs> which it was for that as well. <laughs> You said that these were your values at that time. Mm. And, and I love, by the way, how straight you are about them to say, look, that's that's how I felt. And that's what guided me, right, throughout my decisions. Mm. How have your values potentially changed over the course of time? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think at a certain age, we tend to have values that, that change over time, over age. So I think in, in my 20s, you know, I just left my home and I wanted to be able to live independently. I wanted money to pay my rent. You know, so really my values were much, much higher focus on money and salary and also status as a woman. I came from quite a sexist family. And so I was proving a point, you know, I was definitely saying I can be, and I wasn't going to be a family lawyer. I wasn't going to do personal injury. I was going to do hardcore commercial law. And so it was very much about ticking these boxes of, okay, over time, then you have enough money, you've bought your house, you're more comfortable. I invested in other properties. So I had a second income from, from those. I had ticked the box that I'm good enough as a female that I can mm. play that game with the big boys. You know, I thought, well, I could, but I just don't really want to anymore. That's a whole different premise. So my values then became much more about doing what I love. And I took a huge salary drop to become a coach, a huge risk as well financially, because you have to set up your own practice, your own, you know, you don't have a salary had to move back home in my 30s and live with my mum. So status-wise, quite a drop. But yeah, these the, the value shifted to I want to do what I love in life and I want to do what I'm really naturally good at. And I had been lucky enough to put down these roots with buying other properties as sort of planting little trees that, you know, will just grow in time mm -hmm. and um you know I, I felt like i could not have to worry about money so much yeah and i wanted to really help people much more that's where i got my joy really and i think also a huge value that hadn't changed of mine was a value of freedom mm -hmm. so freedom with my time so when i was a lawyer of course you know you have four weeks holiday a year in the uk or whatever it is and I just couldn't see that as a possible sustainable way to live. So setting up my own business, I thought, no, I will have to work really hard to start with. But at some point, I'll have flexibility. I'll have freedom with my money, freedom with my energy, freedom with my time, freedom who I even work with, no boss. Yeah. <laughs> That's always been a big value of mine. <laughs> And now we are moving forward a little bit, right? And look at you now, mm. where you are. And if you were to, to describe your life as it is to the audience, how would you describe it? What is it like? How has, have your values been reflected now in your life as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not married. I don't have children. I live in a beautiful, small flat so I don't have a huge mortgage to worry about I do have other properties that bring in an income now they weren't initially but you know I'm 50 now so I bought these 20 25 years ago and I have almost total freedom I financially I could have retired at 42 but I love my work so I carry on and um my my day is a real mixture of 
I meditate each morning and have a yoga practice, but then I may not have any clients until the afternoon. So I'll just walk along the river. I may meet friends for lunch. It's, it's a real sort of semi-retired lifestyle in a way at a very young age. Mm. Um, I can travel quite a bit to see friends of mine happen to live in nice places in the world. So <laughs> I may it's just, always a plus. <laughs> that's right. And I, I think I'm now... My nephew told me I'm a digital nomad, which I didn't really know what that meant. I said, oh, I've been like, I've been one of those. I must have been one of the first one of those <laughs> before the, the term was uh, common. So, yeah, I can work anywhere pretty much in this time zone, anywhere in Europe. So, you know, it's interesting, though, Kathleen, because then also I've traded in connection because I don't have a husband. I don't have a dog. I don't have kids. So now in my life, I am missing my connection needs. So I'm now looking at, okay, what do I do about that then? Because it's all well and good having all the freedom in the world, but most people don't have any freedom in the world because they've, they've preferred security over freedom. And that security means that they have responsibilities. That means that they don't have the time to meet with me, my friends or anyone really. So it's quite a lonely place to be. It's interesting what you wish for. And when you have it, then you're like, ah, oh, maybe this isn't everything. This isn't the dream I had. Because mm. I didn't factor that nobody else would do the life that I've done. <laughs> so it's interesting time. It, it is interesting. And I really appreciate that you are so open about it. Because my core value is freedom, mm -hmm. right? That's one of the key reasons why I started doing what I'm doing, despite the fact that I love being a coach and facilitator. And I have a son who is teeny tiny and it feels like as much as I love him, but the freedom has definitely changed. There's no doubt. And I think both of us, my partner and I both struggle with it, mm -hmm. you know, beforehand going just traveling somewhere and um, do whatever you want to do. And now it's like, okay, but how do we factor that in? And how are we going to plan for that? So it has changed tremendously. And I often, or we even talk about that, you know, what the times have been like. And I compare it often to friends who live more your lifestyle. I'm like, oh, she has been to the theater again. How lovely, just spontaneous visit to London, right? West End. And I often think, what is lonely Loneliness, truly, because if I were to listen to you that you meet your friends for lunch, for example, and you go for nice walks over Easter, all of these kind of things, that's also connection for me. But I think we are talking about different levels of loneliness, perhaps. Mm. And, and I just throw it in uh, out there in the room to discuss, it's really. Such a, it's such a great topic to discuss because it's such a hidden, undiscussable in our culture, loneliness. And I think it causes a lot of mental and physical health issues, actually, that we as a society, you know, could address better. And I think loneliness is, is different to connection for me. So I imagine actually that everyone, whatever their circumstances, can feel lonely. I think as a wife in the midst of a household of a dog, three kids, the husband's coming and going every you could also feel very, very lonely. Mm, so so true. I think that's also really worth acknowledging. Mm. It's something that's a human experience, along with all the other emotions that we did come to experience, I believe. And mm. uh, 
to just sit with loneliness and breathe through it and be okay with it and know that it's normal, it happens to everybody, it's not a reflection on who you are or your choices. I think this would really help a lot of us because what I observe is that a lot of people won't go there, don't want to go there and can't bear the feeling of loneliness, in which case they just get really, really busy so that it, they're distracted from this feeling. Maybe it's other feelings as well that they don't want to have. And most people are running crazy lives, completely packed with one thing to the next to the next, and they're almost just running themselves ragged. Also their bodies ragged. And then their downtime, they're drinking loads of alcohol. So not only are they using all their energy to, to keep busy, but then they're not giving themselves the recuperation for that mm -hmm. so I look around in society and I think most people including me we're out of balance but if there's a scale between not doing enough and not connected enough and like a hermit and then at the other end is someone who literally does not have a second to themselves on that scale I think in the west the majority of the people are out of balance because they're they're too busy yeah and they crave time out. They crave the just a breathing space for themselves to not have to be anybody, not have to do anything, just to, you know, exist. My imbalance is actually more the other end right now. So this is also a very interesting experiment for me <laughs> to see. Oh, look, this is how, how you can also get out of balance. You don't have much going on. You don't have many human interactions and you have all the time in the world to think and to meditate and etc etc and for me as an individual that's a little bit too much right now for another person this may be exactly right so yeah it's just we're always trying to get balance right it's just life we're trying to balance your balancing your need for freedom but with your desire to create a family and what does that bring you? To me, everything is about um, one extreme or the other. And we're sort of trying to find a middle road that works for us mm -hmm. in almost everything. Yeah. And I try to follow something you just mentioned, you know, when you have this feeling of loneliness, just to sit with it, be with it, basically, and not trying to get too busy and too caught up in activity right away. But at the same time, I'm in, so intrigued about okay, you have this awareness of where you are right now that something feels out of balance, right? Stretched in the, uh, towards the other extreme. And my intrigued self wants to say, so, so what's next? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> well, I think on my scale, again, to reiterate, mine is an external connection with others and bringing love to the world and, and being in relation the other end of the scale is where you've got so much connection with everything and everyone else that you don't have time for yourself. At any point on that scale, you can be lonely. Mm -hmm. Because for me, loneliness, I think, how I understand it is that it's just a signal that, you are, you, that you're not connected to yourself. You're lonely for yourself, really, not for other people. And that's why when you look at somebody on that end of the scale with, you know, loads of people constantly all around them how do they still feel lonely it's because we do need to go and connect inside with ourselves so yeah. 
a meditation practice and that sort of thing for me is the antidote to that. Yeah. But yeah, what next? I mean, it's a fascinating question. I was listening to a podcast the other day that was about Buddhism and they interviewed this amazing woman who was running a nunnery in the Himalayas. And she said, you know, the girls that come to join this nunnery for life are 15, 16, 17 year old girls. And the interviewer said, well, what makes them choose that at that age? And she said, we, all, we ask every single one. And it's very simple at that age. Mostly they say, I don't want the life of my mum. So they've looked at the path is I get married, I have children, I'm a householder, I'm a mother and a wife. I don't want that. And in the East, therefore, they say, well, I'll get my connection needs met. I'll join another community. I won't make my little mini family community. I'll join another community, which is going to this nunnery. And I thought, how wonderful that they have that choice. Yeah. Because he, in the West, we really don't, that I can see. And I think communities that are non-family based mm. are being set up and probably have always been there. There's, you know, Findhorn, there's these really conscious communities that I know the listeners will say, yeah, but there's this, there's this, there's this. And there are, but they're much a smaller percentage and way seen as way more out there that you'd do that. You'd reject the traditional road of family and go to this community. But I think actually as human beings, we need alternatives to the family structure. Yeah. There's exactly. already, already too many people in the world. We don't want to keep reproducing more numbers than we are already, you know, and we've lost our connection of community. We've lost the sense of in the village in the past, there would have been women that couldn't have children. Um, there would have been people there that were not in a family for whatever reason, but they didn't feel a lack of connection because they were in that village. They belonged mm. to that village. And there was a lot of community orientated activities, I suppose. And perhaps if you live in a village now, it can be the same. But yeah, I, I think there's a, a real drive back to community with people that we choose that are not necessarily our family. I find it so interesting that we are talking about this topic right now, because it, it really occupied my mind over the last few weeks. Like I have never wanted children until I was in my mid-30s and I had my boy when I was in my late 30s. I just didn't have, I love children. I have a wonderful niece and nephew. I love children, but I just couldn't picture myself and sacrificing my freedom that I enjoyed beforehand, right? I didn't have this drive. But also I'm surrounded by people, good friends of mine from all sorts of backgrounds or people who have made different choices in their lives, which is wonderful. I, I love the diversity there. And I thought about two of my friends in particular, both being um, singles, voluntarily. Um, not that they are against love. They are just like, I'm, I'm not just going for love for the sake of finding someone. It has to work, right? Mm -hmm. And enjoying their lives tremendously, feeling very connected with themselves individually as well. Mm. One of them, no, both of them actually would love to buy a house and live somewhere where they really want to live in the countryside and so on. You were talking about the Cotswolds earlier on. So a beautiful area in the UK. Mm. But both are basically not able to do that, despite the fact that I have saved a lot of money. However, it's still not enough to afford 
a house, spacious house with a nice garden in a rather beautiful county of the UK. Mm. I, well, I wanted to swear now, but yeah, it annoys me, right? And at the same time, I thought, well, if there was a community where people can come together and build something together that's still independent you can still be your individual self yeah as you see it in sweden some examples in the netherlands and denmark and so on but as you said on a very small scale mm-hmm. and you just enable all sorts of peoples with their individual desires to live the, the life they want to live mm-hmm. how beautiful would that be yes and i do hear many people saying this right now kathleen I think oh really this, yes i think this is a zeitgeist all women I've not heard any men say this, but yes, that they want to build a community of like-minded people. This is what they're saying and um, where they're going to build that community. I, I think a, a quick route to that would be to maybe even start some sort of a website. You know, this is maybe a business idea that someone will steal, but, you know, to have somewhere where there's a forum where like-minded people could meet each other in order to say, we want to live in this village or we want to live in this town. And it can be anywhere in the world, but you just choose one place and then people can buy a small flat or, you know, maybe have a, if they don't have much money, maybe there's a caravan site nearby or there's lots of other options. Maybe someone does have a big house and a garden and they allow them to camp, you know, so it's really about, access for all people, whatever their financial circumstances, because what they're really wanting is community. Yeah. And, you know, certainly I have a good friend that lives in Mallorca and I have been told many times over that I should be living by the sea, somewhere warm, <laughs> not in the UK. And so I was going regularly to Palma to try and build a, a, a community there of like-minded people that, uh, you know, so I wouldn't, I could go somewhere like that on my own, but also have the connection needs met. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it's about, really. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a wonderful spiritual community on the island of Koh Yang in Thailand that I, I, you know, gone to for a month, just drop in and meditate and, you know, sort of have my energy back. Yeah. That makes sense, sort of when yeah. I when I don't have clients. So there's these options and um, I find it fascinating. I really think we are in a phase where we're reinventing all of our systems, you know, our our social system, our education system, all of our systems need to be reinvented because they all came from an old thinking. And this thinking isn't fit for purpose anymore. The, The mindset that created the state of the world that it's in now is a very patriarchal mindset that worked brilliantly up till now. And obviously not for everybody, it didn't. Very elitist, but it was maybe what was required at the time. It was fit for purpose, so it was, it was very prolific. But we are entering a new age where actually we're now seeing the downside of that mindset. The mindset that says it's all about me, I can take what I need. I'm just getting get my needs met. The hierarchical system that we have, you know, that others aren't as important as me. The third world, we can just go and rob the third world for the, you know, the pleasures of the West. Mm. All of this inequality, we now say, 
all of us are in this mess, we're all going to have the problem of climate change. Whether you're rich, whether you're white, whether you're male, actually everyone's going to suffer. So we all have to get together and do something different. And I think Bitcoin, you know, cryptocurrencies is a challenge to the financial system, the capitalist world that we've lived in, you know, that our consumerism. I saw a fantastic four-part documentary on the BBC the other day called, oh, what was it? I think it was the century of the self, it was called. And it's really about the psychology that is, that the mindset that has shaped the way the West Western world is and that why we are so obsessed with consumerism and destroying the planet (laughs) you know I mean ultimately we're really not working in a very sustainable way as human beings yeah so I mean even our educational system we have now all these labels for people your ADHD you know we give them drugs I mean it's like crazy to me crazy that you take a child just watch a natural child they do not sit on a seat for five hours you know this is not we're not we're not creating our systems in line with our natural way Mm. and I think that's caused a massive problem in all spheres yeah I need I still need to watch that documentary you um, recommended it to me last time I have it actually here written down um, yeah. But I still need to catch up on it. It sounds so interesting. And I have to admit, since I've become a mother, I'm thinking about that even more. Because mm. th- th- there's climate change. That's no news, is it? No. Well, But there's something inside of me, definitely. I wouldn't say that ignores it. I, I really do my best to not add to it and to be very conscious about my actions, waste and and so on, driving. Mm-hmm. However, there is also an element of it that perhaps doesn't take it as seriously as it has to be taken. And I can imagine that I'm not alone with that. So what needs to happen in order to really shift the mindset, to really take it seriously, to really make changes yes. quickly? Well, I mean, you have revolutionary groups at grassroots, you know, like you always did. If you take, say, the French Revolution, you had power that was ultimate power and it wasn't working for some people. And then it wasn't working for many people. And then it wasn't working for the majority of the people. And at that tipping point, the majority and how how badly it's affecting them will revolt and topple power. Now, if we look at climate change in the same way, we have the people in power. We have people in power around the world. They're individuals. They have absolute power to very, very quickly change the way the world is operating and save the the climate of this planet so that humans can live within it. And it's people talk about saving the planet. And I say, well, the planet will always be here. It's just us that's not going to survive. So in my mind, there are a few, the, you know, there's a handful or, It's probably more than that. Hundreds, though, hundreds of individual humans alive right now today that have the power to make this change. And they're not doing it because they're operating from fear, maybe, and their own self-interest. If you look at governments, Mm -hmm. we need to keep voting them back in. So they're not going to make they're not going to make drastic changes that cause the population some suffering, which actually is going to be what's required. 
because they want to be popular and voted back in. You know, perhaps that's why they're not doing it. There's others that are industrialists, you know, capitalists, where they're making their money so they don't care and actually they don't want to have to invest mm-hmm. in new technologies, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a fascinating uh, place to be in 2022 where we say, and we've got these grassroots revolutionary groups that are springing up, but we haven't reached the tipping point yet where it's so bad that the majority of people will be pushed to revolt and hopefully it doesn't get to that place my work I'm, I work with a consultancy there's a, a group of five of us that have set up um, a sustainability consultancy where we can work with leaders to help them make the right choices but also help them feel safe to do that help them have the courage that they need to take these risky decisions because that's what we're facing and uh, as my role as a coach that's what my expertise is is, is to you know, understand human nature, be compassionate. We'd probably feel the same as them in their shoes too. They need support, but they do need to do something quickly. So hopefully we don't have a climate war. We don't get to the point where power doesn't listen and doesn't change to the point where there needs to be violence to make them change. Now, actually, when you look at history, sadly, that's normally the tale, that the ones in power will not voluntarily change for the good of all. They will not give up their power or their privileges that they gain through power for the good of all until the majority use force against them. So I see this is what we're, you know, as a world. If we don't do that, then we will really be doomed. But I think as humans, we will do that. It will come to a crunch point where people will rise up and if we are still if those people in power are still clinging on to the old ways, there will be violence, which is, it could be avoided. So for me, my purpose in the next however many years left I have on this planet, given my skills, given my experience, is to try and talk to power and help them voluntarily make some better decisions so yeah. that we can all do this transition in a smooth way. So first of all, you didn't tell us the name of the group of you and your colleagues. <laughs> well, it's very new. So um, we're thinking we're going to be called Not Sustainable. Not Sustainable. Not Sustainable. And the reason for that is because so many things we're doing are not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And we're still doing them. And we're still getting big consulting firms in to do them. Like that's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's too slow. It's not getting to the heart of the matter. It's not courageous enough. It's going to be too late. We're going to run out of time if we don't do something drastic. Now, we're, very, we're in a very lucky position that we don't have to earn money. So again, this group is not coming from a place of self-interest and profitability. We're coming from a place of making the biggest impact that we can. Uh, so we can say no to clients that we don't think are going to bother to do the work, that not you know, on board. So, you know, we're in a very privileged position as opposed to say, you know, KPMG that have shareholders and they have to make a profit, but that system in itself is part of the problem. So what is it you'd like to tackle is the wrong word because it's such such an educational piece of work that needs to be done there as well. But what are the key focus areas within organizations that you'd like to support those leaders or people in power with? 
I think a lot of CEOs I work with, they say, no, we've got it in hand. We've got someone in or we've got a team. They're all trained in sustainability. They've got PhD in environmental science. We've got it. And if you think of the triangle, the CEO sits at the very top of the triangle. And this person or this group will sit two or three, if they're lucky, layers below power. And for me, this is such a fundamental transformation that businesses need to do. It's not like getting someone in at a junior level to rearrange the, you know, the, the seating plan. It has to come from the CEO and all of the leaders. So what we're hoping is to attract courageous leaders, the top leaders, the CEOs, and their executive teams. Because what we're really talking about here is cultural change. And everything that that entails comes from the top. So a culture of an organization, whether they're a culture that thinks about sustainability, thinks about equality, diversity, that comes from who the leader is and who the people at the top are. Mm. It's just about individual psychology. So for me, what needs to happen is a lot of these top, top leaders that are running the companies and have the power to make these changes fast have the courage to come and work with us and have us help them change their minds because that's, you know, if you look at, if, if, any, if we take it to an individual level, just look at your life, look where you live, look at your bank account, look at your health, look at your body, look at the state of your relationships. You have created all of that from the current mindset that you have. And mostly we're not very aware of what that mindset is. You know, your current level of consciousness, as I call it. Now, if you don't like what you've created, you have to change the brain, the mind, the way you see the world first. That's where it all starts, in my opinion. So this is what's drawn me to my field in the first place, because I'm really interested in external change. <laughs> But I recognize that you can't get external change without internal change in the minds of the leaders. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? I remember mm. you and I talking about the levels of consciousness and I, in a very fascinated manner, listened to you and I can't wait to share it with the audience here. But it sounds so easy to say, look, you first of all have to work on your mind, how you see the world around you. And I think that's where individuals like you come in to help with that. So it would be brilliant, A, to get an overview over those levels of consciousness, because I think I had an aha moment after our conversation. I'm pretty sure other people will have an aha moment. <laughs> But B, how can we make this first step? Yes. Well, I use a model that was um, created by Richard Barrett and uh, his company is Value Center. So I'm a trained consultant for his company to go out and work with organizations to help them change their culture. Mm -hmm. And then there's other trained consultants that work with schools, prisons, you know, there's any culture. Um, I just happen to be operating in the business world. And this model is a model of seven levels of consciousness The first three levels he's taken from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So the very first need we have is to survive. So if you think of a baby, it just needs to be fed. It needs the basics to survive first, because without that, we can't really do much with life. And then the second level is belonging. So this is about community, what we were talking about before. Our sense of belonging 
in the past would have come from our village, our identity is this is my village, these are my people, maybe uh, the group that you work with. But as we grow up, we often in our Western culture have only one option, which is to create a family. And we have then our friends and our work colleagues, and this is our sense of belonging. So at level one, the fear is I won't survive. At level two, the fear is I won't be loved. We need to feel enough love from enough people. And level three is the fear is I'm not good enough. And level three consciousness is about status. We also need to feel like, you know, I'm in this group, I belong, I'm surviving, and I'm doing okay compared to them. That's why often when you travel, you go somewhere very, very poor in the third world, people are happy. They're, you know, within the, that group, there's, there's people are able to be happy because they're, they're actually doing all right amongst their own people. They're not really depressed saying, well, it's unfair, we have nothing. I mean, of course, that is the truth, that it's unfair um, in the world, but they have their status ticked. So in the West, we are mostly, we've mostly got enough money. I mean, I'm not talking about people on extreme poverty here. People in extreme poverty will just be in level one consciousness. Their whole day is just about survival, getting enough money to put food on the table and pay their rent, pay their bills. That's a Western version of survival. And it's about money normally. And then level two, most people have got a house, they can pay their bills. Level two, they've got enough sense of belonging, their family, their friends. And then we're mostly 80% of us trapped in level three, which is where we haven't yet ticked for ourselves that we're good enough. And nearly all of the clients I work with, all ages, all nationalities, that is a major issue. Their unconscious fear that they're not good enough. I'm not good enough yet. I need to do more. I need to be better. And so level three is about competition. You need to see I'm better than them. Facebook is, you know, people showing how amazing they are. This is a status driven show. What car you have, you know, the watch you drive, you know, the, the, the house you live in has to be bigger and bigger. I mean, that's not about survival now. You know, a nice a brand new kitchen isn't about survival level one. It's about status. So once you get beyond that, you have ticked the box for yourself that says, and it's not about reality. Someone can tick this box with very little uh, compared to others, but they may just say, do you know, I don't care about that stuff. I'm good enough. I feel okay as I am. Now we have a chance to do our own pure path. And then you go into level four consciousness, which is often chaos, very high turmoil. It's what we'd call the midlife crisis, because often people go into level four when they have got quite a lot of status they have got the perfect wife the, the kids that they've got all these things and they're still not happy so it drives them into a sort of existential crisis of who am I what do I really want why aren't I still happy that's level four but out of and that's mostly where my clients come to me in that place where they're you know I've got a great job but it's just not fulfilling I can't be bothered to get up every day now there's a sort of deadening of the soul once they're through level four, then they can find out who they genuinely really are. And this is really about getting rid of all the beliefs that we have from our culture, all of our conditioning from our past. You know, can I still be a good person if I choose not to go to that church? Because actually I'm bored when I go there. And I do believe in God, but I actually want to pray in the woods. <laughs> you know, so it's that sort of 
detaching from all the rules and all the ways that you've been mm. told you should live and just finding your true unique identity that's level five that feels like freedom right away it is it oh. absolutely is because levels five six and seven you're living without the fear you're living from joy you're not saying oh my god i've got to do this job because i won't have enough money to survive or I've, I've got this high up in the company and I've got shares and I can't leave because, you know, how would I be viewed? You know, what would I do if I didn't, if I wasn't a director? That's level three, entrapment. You know, I can't downsize my house because what will people think of me? Level three is very focused on what everyone else is going to think of them and their own, their own reputation amongst their, their tribe. But level five is I now do what I love I do the work I love with the people I love. I'm working from joy. Level six, once you've done level five for long enough, you realize that if you collaborate with others, then you'll have a bigger impact on the world, which is really what's happened to me as an individual coach, collaborating with these other experts in sustainability. It's like, wow, hey, we could do more if we collaborated. So level six is pure collaboration without fear. So level seven very few people reach which is where you're just at service to the world it really does you, you really just now it you know that actually what you do is totally irrelevant you're at a spiritually enlightened place which is just the energy that you're channeling wherever you go so very few people are there i'm not there it's quite hard for me to describe that one because i'm like oh i think it's sort of this <laughs> A little bit of work to do to get there. So, so what people would you describe on level seven? Um, who are some of the examples? Who might that be there. Who might be there. Yeah, know. sorry. Yes. Oh, definitely. Say Mother Teresa, Dalai Lama, Jesus Christ, you know, these really enlightened people, Buddha. And then many, many people that aren't famous that I can't name, but that are living a life where they really have no fear particularly in themselves they're living from pure joy to just exist they'll get pure joy from looking at a plant they'll just help everyone and anyone where they can because because they can mm -hmm. not because they feel they should mm. so yeah very very nice place to get to I thought when you described that level I thought I see definitely sides of you there you know yeah, this maybe. It's this way of being in service of others and mm -hmm. focusing on how you can make some positive change. Mm -hmm. As I haven't been there ever, I have no idea how it feels as well. So I can't really say as to whether I could fully see it there. But yeah, some of your descriptions, Yes, well, I would visit there. The interesting thing with this model as well, Kathleen, is that the aim is to have what Richard Barrett calls as full spectrum. So you have a value in every single one of these levels. That means that you're very balanced. So you may have reached level seven, but you're still going to eat breakfast to survive. You're still going to keep your body alive. You're still going to pay your bills. So it's an interesting one. It's, it's almost that you experience these greater and greater levels, I suppose, but you still have all that's come before. And, and the other thing that's interesting as well is, for me, I'm very conscious of, yes, I'm definitely at level six, But sometimes I go right back to level two because that need right now is still not ticked. So you can, you know, I mean, if you look at Ukraine, 
there would be people in Ukraine that were at level six or seven. And actually, because of the circumstances, they may now be every day in level one. Mm-hmm. So circumstances will make us, put, you know, put our, it's where we put our energy and our focus of attention. And this can be used for organizations as well. So you can look at the whole culture. Where are you putting all your energy and attention? Mm-hmm. Because if you're putting all your energy and attention on level one survival, it mm-hmm. means you won't invest in any R&D. You know, you're just scared that you haven't got enough money. Yeah. You're just looking at cash flow only. Yeah. And, you know, so if a lot of organizations are in level three, they, their brand will be we're the biggest, we're the best, we're the fastest. It's, compa- it's comparative and competitive. And actually, as a world, in order to save ourselves, we really need at least the leaders to get to level six consciousness, which is collaboration, because we have global issues that require a collaboration at a global level. And... Um, you know, I, I've, I've spent many, many hours writing potential training courses that have never come to anything of how to get people to shift their levels of consciousness. I don't know how. All I know is that when I come into a group of leaders and I can bring my level, I can bring how I see it. And then I help sort of, you know, I do guided meditations and stuff. And I am a trained hypnotist, actually but I can allow them to just quieten their own mind and talk and describe how it might be if they were at level six. So they get a a snapshot of how it would be different. How would they be operating as a team differently? What it would feel like differently, what they would be doing, what they wouldn't be doing, you know, that sort of thing. And and that's the best I've got to so far, (laughs) which might not be, good enough but you know but that's level three right away yeah that's you're moving back to yeah you see how we move shift back and forth now if I had a fear that I wasn't good enough I wouldn't be able to go out and even do my job I'd be like oh no I need to do more courses as a coach you know I'd be doing another training another you know accolade that's where we can get trapped, where we're not bringing our real gifts. We say, what if you're just good enough as you are? Mm-hmm. Go out there and do it. I could imagine the one thing I wrote down was status three and status two in alignment slash conflict. That was something that really stuck with me. If you don't have the sense of community, of belonging, but yet you might be telling yourself that you know, in a technical space, you are very skilled and you're good enough. Mm-hmm. However, that's missing and you might not get the external acknowledgement, the recognition. Mm-hmm. You have to put a lot of work into, no, I am good enough. Others don't need to acknowledge that. I, I could well imagine that this is a challenge in itself just to, you, you know, make sure you fulfill one of those basic needs right yes. away. Yes. Well, and this is the real challenge, Kathleen, is that we have a misunderstanding that in order to tick these first three boxes, well, level one is pure survival. Mm -hmm. We we do need some basic facts to survive. And we are community people. We're pack animals. So we do need belonging. And we do need to feel good enough. But interestingly, at a certain point in time, we in the West could say, look, I've got a house. I can pay my bills. Level one's done. I love myself. I'm loved because I love myself, level two. 
And actually, whatever anyone else thinks of me, I think I'm good enough. I'm not perfect. I'm not the best. I'm good enough. Mm. We can tick those boxes internally for ourselves. And this is the internal development, really. Mm. So with a, a team of leaders, you know, stuck in level three, they'll all be competing against each other to get the top job. They'll all be trying to buy for the CEO role, you know, be, you know, that's what's happening there. Whereas if they just all felt good enough that they're bringing their own unique contribution and that there's something more important here than their own career, that as a team, they could transform their company and therefore also transform the world, the world that their company touches. That's the sort of mindset shift. You want to say, it's not about you. You're okay. You're good enough. You can have a good life. It's not about you anymore. Let's, let's think about what you and your gifts can bring to this collaboration. That's a really nice place to be. There's no fear. There's no, oh, he's done that presentation to the CEO. He gets more time with the CEO than me. You know, there's no who's got the best parking spot, the best office. It's just a very relaxed place to be. And as leaders, leaders that are in level six are not only healthier in their body, very relaxed and happier people, but they are way, way better leaders. It might be the obvious or calling out the obvious, but what do you notice in leaders that operate mainly on a level six basis? They are able to say, actually, I don't know. They're able to admit where they might have jump to a conclusion or got something wrong, they will listen to the group because they respect that someone else's view might be really important because they've got a different experience to mm. me. There's no competitiveness or one-upmanship. There's no ego in the room. Yeah. There's actually a very supportive feel in the room. And often they are the type of leader that will really have talent in their own team that they manage that they're really trying to create a great successor for themselves they're already thinking how they can replace themselves with someone who's the next you know generation of leader coming through mm -hmm. and really they'll often concede their area so if the best decision for the company is x but it's a very bad decision for their own team and their own area they'll be okay with that. They'll say, I'll handle that. We can give you all that. It does mean we have to work overtime. It does mean we don't get this thing that we're really excited about because I can see that what's best for the company as a whole is this other solution. Which sounds like a wonderfully calm place, a place almost free of ego yes. as well, where yes. people can truly grow. Now, if we look at systems, And that change happens one by the other. You can start with a person, a team, and hopefully change is being, you know, or is, is expanding pretty soon. However, it comes back to the audacity to being brave when a person on a level six sees what's in it for the greater good, mm -hmm. calls it out and challenges in all directions as well to make this change happen. Yeah. What I've seen in the past, I wouldn't say always, but frequently is, this positive change stops at some point because now we've gotten to our limits basically in terms of how much we can challenge and when we are being pushed back because we may now be uh, trying to influence someone who is 
on a different level yes. of consciousness. Yes. Well, I think that's true, Kathleen. I see that too, that in the triangle, the lower down in the triangle you are, the less you've got to lose in a way. You know, they're much more likely to be collaborative at that level. The higher up you climb that triangle, and especially at the very top, so the C-suite, which is normally where I'm working at, that's mostly my clients. So I, I'm not really an expert in the more, um, the lower levels, to be fair. But at C-suite, once you've got there, you, that might have taken 20, 25 years of your career. You've got a reputation, you've got your CV, you know, you can't be seen to screw up. Mm. You've got everybody looking at you to give you the answers. Yeah. And there's a huge amount of pressure on those leaders, in fact, to operate like leaders at level three and not like leaders at level six. So it's very counterintuitive at that level to be able to be collaborative. And that's why it's so important, you know, to work with those people, because actually they're the people that need the most support. They're the ones that have the power to make the biggest difference. And they're also the ones that are in need of the most support in order to change their mindset from competitive to collaborative, I would say. And it's not about those people as, it's not about their personalities. It would happen to any of us. You know, you've got already, you, you've, you've been, you're running off a culture that already told you that you'll be happiest when you've got the biggest house, a great car, you've got your perfect children and they're at the best school that you're paying for, They've got huge mortgages. They've got, they're, they're completely lacking any sort of freedom. And they cannot risk losing that job very high up. And that makes it really, really hard for them to speak their truth and to risk that. So for me, that's where the most joy for me is, is helping these people who I, I love dearly. I wouldn't want their jobs, my God. <laughs> you know, like I, I feel... I feel for them and I really have compassion and I really want to just help them move to this level six because when the whole team does, it is absolutely transformational mm -hmm. and they'll suddenly start to love their jobs and they'll suddenly start to really appreciate people in the team that maybe they were quite judgmental about before. Yeah. It, it's really a nice place to be once they can shift. But it's not easy for them. Wouldn't be easy for me if I was in their shoes. Yeah. I would want, I would need a coach to help me. I'm, I'm working with um, leaders on various levels from mid-management to senior management in particular, but sometimes mixed levels come together mm. and I have the opportunity to talk cross levels, right? Oh, Which wonderful. is brilliant. Mm. And when the people actually realize in those workshops that how much they are getting in their own way. So i.e. middle management, junior management, not approaching senior management, bringing in their biases and assumptions about them, not showing the compassion and the empathy, not putting themselves into their shoes and focusing very much on this is how I have to suffer, mm, but not mm. giving anything away and any support. And mm -hmm. for me, it often comes back to humanizing the space. Yes. And let's remove the job titles here, mm -hmm. right? Let's remove the hierarchies and talk as human beings. So if that would be your best mate sitting opposite you, how would you approach that person? What would be important for you? 
Wonderful. in terms of building that connection, right? Yeah. And it shifts the entire conversation. And the amount of times people are leaving the conversation in terms of, oh my God, I just realized how much, as I said, I, I got in my own way. Mm, wonderful. Um, it, it's really important. Yes. Well, you're doing the same work, Kathleen. You know, you are doing the same work. Your level six collaboration, when do we do, when do we ever do that? Is when we're with our mates and we're maybe arranging to go on holiday together. Or, mm. You know, we're making a decision, but with the people we love and we don't judge and we're not in competition with, you know, so you're, you're giving them that snap, snapshot and yeah. getting them to shift to level six, really. And that's how I'd, um, you know, sort of classify what you're, what you're doing there. So absolutely wonderful we need so many more people like you doing this work <laughs> i i definitely agree so many opportunities are out there to make some significant changes yes yes uh, in the way organizations operate mm. i do have another question for you that i was yeah curious about again one of your books is called conscious leadership and the power of energetic fields mm-hmm so admittedly, I haven't read the book yet, yet. <laughs> what about the power of energetic fields? Yeah. Um, what do I mean by that? I guess it's, so everything really is energy. If you think of it from a scientific perspective, everything is just energy. Yep. Just an object is moving very, very slowly, all the particles. We are only energy. And if we strip everything back to that, then it allows for many, many shifts in mindset. It allows us to say, what energy am I bringing to this meeting? And not so much focus on the actual three bullet points of that presentation. What we say is very irrelevant compared to the energy that we're bringing in and how we're saying it. So that's just at an individual level. So as a leader, I'm mostly working on their, on helping them become conscious of their own states and deciding, do I want to bring this state into this now? What state would be perfect? What state is most likely to get the results that we need here? So a lot of that is, is internal energy management. And then when two people come together, they create a little energy bubble between them. So this is how we fall in love. We, we just see a person and we think only all the positive thoughts about them. You know, we, we have all positive judgments. They have all positive judgments about us. And these positive judgments in our body feel really great where our heart, literally our hearts will open, we'll have physical changes in the body. And then when you put two people together like that, they're creating an energetic field of love. And the same happens when people end up in a fight. Now, how is it possible that two strangers in a pub never met each other before? can end up at the end of the night in a physical, in physical violence. It's because for some reason they're bringing their own negativity in. They then put that negativity on the other. They judge them negatively. The other feels that energy and does the same back. And eventually the field, the energetic field that's created by those two people is uh, one of fear and defensiveness and anger and so in the end of course what happens with that is violence and this can happen you know what's happening now in war this is how wars are started it's just a mass consciousness so if you get a lot of people together you can have say a rock concert 
you know, the energy in that room is in a massive energetic field because a lot of people are all in the same state together and the energy is very high, very, you know, that's the energy of a rock concert as opposed to maybe the energy of a rally where people are very, very angry and we've got an energetic field there of aggression. And that's your mob that will go out, you know, and just smash windows and destroy stuff because they've got an energetic field of aggression. So it's just really these concepts. And if you think of it in that way, you can look at the culture of a whole organisation. The leaders at the very top are putting their own body's energy into the field and they have you know, exponential power at the top. Their energy has much, much more power in the field than people at the very bottom. So that's really why I'm looking at the leaders saying, what energy are you even putting into this organisation? And, you know, at some level, people will say, you don't even need to be talking to them or, you know, in an email it will come across or even without any connection and communication, the energy is felt at some level. So if you take that really, really broad to a spiritual level, we'll say all of us are energetically connected. It's just this amazing, huge, constantly changing field. And that's how, you know, distant energy healers work. This is their beliefs. Their beliefs come from this concept that everything is just energy. So you can you can play with that energy if you can control it, if you can understand it and become conscious of it. You're putting me into a place of very calm and positive energy right now. <laughs> Seriously, I had this simplistic thought in my head that isn't new. It's just nice to remember it from time to time. If we can help one another to become more conscious, more aware of our energies and the energies we send out, whoa, you know, how much more change can we, positive change can we trigger? Teeny yeah. tiny steps, but all together. You know, it can be some huge amount of change. Yeah, I mean, that's why in the past when, you know, armies went off to war, you'd have whole nunneries and priesthoods praying that what they're doing, they believe, is just putting positive energy into the field, and that's enough. Um, Now, other people would say, well, that's just useless. What's the point of doing that? But, you know, mass meditations uh, for peace, This is already happening in the world where people just say, we just look to yourself first. Instead of trying to go out and demonstrate and change someone else, just look to yourself first. And I think that's also really a valid point. But yeah, it's, it's a, for me, it's a very useful understanding of how to see the world, what's really happening here. You know, we, we hide behind, especially in business, we hide behind We're going to tell them this, you know, as a leader, we're going to tell them this, but that's not the truth. That's not authentic. And somewhere energetically, people get, people know that and they won't trust you. You know, so we, when I talk about energetic fields, it sounds like a big term, but most people I talk to about it, they're, oh yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I get that. We all know it. We can all feel it. I mean, even in our language, when we have, You know, you could cut the air with a knife. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, because there's a physical, there's a manifestation of a field here yeah. that we can feel when we tap. And that's emotional intelligence, right? It's just being able to feel into the field. And to trust it. Yes. Well, 
I guess that's intuition. For me, when I talk about leaders trusting their intuition, you know, there's so much stuff in the field that we're picking up unconsciously and then giving us a sense of a direction or a sense of a feeling of, I think this isn't right somehow. And yeah, trust that. Yeah. Always, I say, because especially if you have, you know, 20, 30 years of experience in something, you can, if somebody's, you know, 20, 30 years looking at spreadsheets, they can look at a spreadsheet and tell you there's something wrong here, but they don't know what, but they know it's wrong. So yeah, trusting our intuition, I think is a, is a, is a great way forward in life. Rebecca, this has been a wonderful conversation, a very thought-provoking conversation as well. Before I let you go, I'd love you to share where people can find you, where they can find out more about you and the upcoming work perhaps as well. And obviously you have created some amazing courses too. Yes, I have had all my years, 20 years nearly now, as a coach working at CEO, C-suite level. And um, many people wanted me to come in and do work with more junior teams. And it's just not affordable for them. That's okay. Mm -hmm. So I created an online course, which is really affordable for more aspiring leaders. But with all the secrets and the wisdom that I've got from the C-suite, because we're still people, right? Yes. We feel the same thing. You can be an amazing leader when you're just your very first team leader and you've only got two people to manage. You can mm -hmm. still be a better leader there than the CEO of your own company. So, yeah, I've got my, my six-week online course um, through Interplicity, the company in the US that I collaborated with to make that course. And it's interactive as well. So you can go at your own pace, but there's three... Um, 90-minute sections where all of the people around the world are on the course come together and we do a live interactive session because a lot of the work that I'm doing uh, is experiential. You've got to show up with your body and, you know, get the feelings, have that mindset shift. You can't just read it from a book. So um, that, that's my online course. And my, my own website is rwatsonleadership.com. This is much less of a corporate site, so it's, it's more personal. But of course, that's still sharing my blogs and my books and, you know, anything that I have done that I can share free from that site and a way to get in touch with me, really. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So it's and, and then Not Sustainable is, uh, is my new business that we haven't even built the website yet. <laughs> That's okay. We will. We will. We're, we're coming. <laughs> yeah. And you started talking about it. That's the key. That's right. It's live. It's real. And um, there's five of us, all women. The other four are experts in their own field. I'm learning so much from them. It's just so exciting for me as well, yeah. because we are practicing what we preach. We're really trying to collaborate. And um, yeah, we're, we're bringing that collaborative energy into any of the organizations that we work with as, as well. And I was just about to say that about the course as well. What is beautiful about those three 90-minute sections is that, yes, you can experience it, you can embody the learnings and the feelings, but you also build a network. Yes. So you get everything in bite-sized chunks. You can go your own pace, but you actually get to know the people and you have some moments of, oh, my God, I'm not alone, and some moments of, Oh, that's how you do it. All right. I might steal Absolutely. that idea. Fantastic. You know, it's yeah. it's just brilliant. 
Well, we really encourage people to buddy up and start teams at the very beginning of the six weeks so that they can connect as often as they want to practice the, you know, exercises. Because my course is very practical, very pragmatic. It's not theoretical. It's, you know, this is the exercise. Go through it with each other and see how that feels for you. See what results you got. So, yeah, it's uh, people have real fun, actually. <laughs> and they do stay in touch all across the world, which is awesome. lovely. Yeah. 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 I, I love doing those live webinars. It always fascinates me, you know, how many people we have from all different cultures, you know, all we're all trying to do the same thing. I mean, there is a one size fits all good leadership. There is. It's like there is a good parent. That's a great way to parent. There, there is a model. And if you just learn that model, why not learn it young? <laughs> so get in there, learn how to be that great leader yes. in yourself and for others and to create some amazing change in the world out there. So um, do follow Rebecca, sign up for the course or read the books, whatever helps you to be the best leader in this world that you can be. It's been an absolute joy to speak to you, Rebecca, to have fun with you today and to learn from you. That's for me the greatest uh, in, in this or on this show that I really learn from the guests so much. And you've given me a lot to think Thank about here today. Well, it's an honor to be here. I really appreciate your asking me to be on your podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. And we are obviously going to share everything you've just heard about, the links to the course, the website, um, and anything else that might be useful for you to read and learn about in the show notes. So stay tuned. But for now, I'm wishing you all a wonderful remaining day and speak to you very, very soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.